This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Amen. I'm excited about this new series, Acts, Living It Out. And uh, I want your hearts to be very sensitive this morning. You know, as we were worshiping, some of the songs and some of the words on the songs, I realized that the praise and worship in this church is often costly. It's costly. What do I mean by that? There are people here today that are singing those words. They're singing by faith those words. It's costly to sing and to say some of those things. And it's precious to God. And I recognize that. We worship in spite of how we feel sometimes. And so today I want to uh, bring a message to you. And I'll give you my title in a minute, but I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Does everybody have a real Bible today? Okay, lift your Bible up and say, this is my Bible. I write in it. I study it. It's a real Bible with the Word of God in it. I believe this is a word for me today. Now open your Bible to Habakkuk. I know for some of you that's where the pages are still stuck together. (laughs) We haven't been in that part of the book yet. Others of you, it's a well-worn passage of Scripture. So Habakkuk, the first chapter. Habakkuk chapter 1. And I'll wait till I hear the pages stop flipping. Habakkuk 1. Are you there? All right. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 5. It says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or how long do I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Man, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like that? Look at God's answer. Verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now folks, I want you to know something. I believe the Bible. But I also understand what's going on here. This is Habakkuk. He's a prophet. But he's complaining. He's complaining to God that the words he's delivering are not backed up by the Lord. He's feeling like God doesn't have his back. 
he, he feels like God is not backing his words. He's, he's, he feels like he is over-promising and God is under-delivering. So we see, how, how many of you have ever felt like that? That sometimes there's an over-promise and an under-delivering? Lawlessness is out of control. Justice is being abused. People are getting away with murder. The wicked seem to be flourishing. And the righteous are suffering. And it looks to Habakkuk in this passage of scripture like he's speaking empty words. And that God is not delivering. And you know, if you read the Bible, and many of you are students of the word of God... You can see this in the lives of many of God's prophets. They find themselves in a place between the prophecy and its fulfillment. And they're just wishing something would happen, something could happen. And they can't understand why they spoke on behalf of God and it's not coming to pass. If you've ever felt like God has not come through for you, or if you feel like the promises of God have been slack and arriving in your life, I want to speak to you this morning. Here's why. As a pastor, I often feel like, some, not often, but I've often felt like I've spoken words and I'm saying, God, I know you showed me this. And it seems like it's so slow in coming to pass. It's so frustrating that you can see something so clearly and you declare it so loudly and you declare it so boldly and where is the promise? Many people are angry, exhausted, depressed, discouraged and confused because God doesn't seem to be coming through in the way that the preacher said he would come through. Or in the way that the Bible indicated that he would. The title of my message is what to do when you're in the middle of the agony of divine delay. What do we do when we're in the middle of the agony of divine delay? What do you do when it feels like God has put things on hold? The time between the beginning and God showing up. What does it do when you feel like you're stuck at a red light? Some people have been stuck in places for weeks or others for months. And for some it's been years. That they're just stuck. And it's hard for some of us, especially when it seems like others around us are getting their breakthroughs. They're getting their, their, their answers. And here we are, we're stuck. And we're experiencing a divine delay, a divine delay. I've preached on this before. This is just from a different angle. 
But I call this being in the middle. Being in the middle. I don't know about you, but there's times that I have had a word from God and he shows me the beginning and it's like, oh man, this is so good. The Bible teaches us a lot. It says that a prophet gets a word and it says it's like sweet as honey in his mouth. But it turns to gravel in his stomach. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh God. Often God will come to you and he'll give you this powerful word and he'll show you the beginning and he shows you the end. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is how it's going to look when it's all over. And it's exciting. And we take off like, yeah. It reminds me of when I used to take my kids to these theme parks in the United States of America. And uh, they had these giant roller coasters. And uh, the problem with the roller coaster is that when you're standing there, you see the beginning, and then you see the people coming and getting off before you get on. And you see the beginning, and then you see the end. Yeah, yeah. You get it? Yeah, you don't see what's going to happen in between. But you get to experience that very soon. And there were times that my kids, hey, Dad, you got to go on this one. It's the biggest. It's the best. And my son Tommy had the biggest fetish towards roller coasters at one time. I mean, if there was a roller coaster, we had to find the biggest, the best, the fastest, the, the steepest, the scariest. And when I was his age, and he was Levi's age, I was a little, little older, but and maybe he was a little older. But I never wanted to show fear, but I was always scared to death. And as I'm standing there getting on this thing, I knew I didn't want to get on it. Why? I wasn't afraid of the beginning, and I could see people were getting off at the end. It was the in-between that I didn't want. But you could never show fear to your son. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I confess today that there are many times that I never wanted to go back on that roller coaster again. So I call this being in the middle. It's the in-between. It's the time between the time you launched out on a promise of God and the time when that promise comes to fruition. I don't know. Sometimes... We get in the middle and I don't know if you've ever said things like this, but, you know, what's the problem, God? Is there something wrong with me? Have I done something wrong? Is it, is it, is it, is it just me that's terrible? See, this is what Job's friends suspected of him. His friends came to him and were trying to explain why God was doing all these things to him. And they spoke to him for weeks and months, trying to explain to him during his time of divine delay why this was happening. I was reading a book on meditation this week and 
really spoke to me. It said that sometimes we need to stop talking and do more listening. One of the great warriors of prayer was speaking about prayer. He says, as you become a great prayer warrior, he says, you're going to find out that you move away from speaking and do more listening. Prayer is more about listening than it is speaking. And I thought, wow, that was interesting, you know. And, and it spoke deeply to me. You see, as a pastor, maybe some of you, sometimes people feel like it's their job to make God look good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When things are not perfect, somehow we're supposed to explain it all away. We're there to explain, now from God's perspective. Let me tell you what God's perspective is. Now, wait a minute. How on earth could you or I know God's perspective? Because God is omnipotent. God knows everything. God doesn't have a perspective. God sees every angle. He doesn't just see one angle. He sees every angle. There's no way we can explain God's perspective in its entirety. You know, there's many people, and I've heard, I heard a guy talking about all the different people there are and different responses to things. One of those kind of people is a fixer. They want to fix everything. A fixer tries to tidy up your life. Anybody know any fixers? Well, the 33 chapters of the book of Job are his friends trying to tidy up his life, trying to explain to him how to get his act together. And then finally, after 33 chapters, God begins to speak in the 38th chapter. And, and here's what God says. He says in, in Job 38 verse 2, he says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And then God goes on for three, or two or three chapters and he says, who knows where I store my lightning bolts? Come on, tell me. He says, who can tell me where the bounds of the earth are? Who can tell me where, how, how I keep the seashores and the seas in their boundaries? Who? And he just goes on and on and on and on and on. And he starts asking these questions to, to Job and to his accusers. How smart, who, who are you to be talking without knowledge? It's a pretty profound dialogue. Actually, it's a monologue. God then proceeds to ask questions that nobody can answer. So what God is really saying is that he says, can you understand that I have an agenda that there are things that I'm doing, things that I'm involved in in people's lives that even if I told you, you couldn't imagine? I'm doing something in Job's life that none of you can understand. And yet you're trying to counsel Job, question him, but I have a plan. Now, you and I get to see behind the scenes because we're reading the Bible and we get to look behind the scenes and we see that, oh, there's a devil. There's all kinds of things going on. Job is being tested. There's, there's, there's things going on in Job's life. But Job didn't know that. Remember Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. Joseph shares a dream he has, a vision that he has with his family. It's his brothers and his mom and dad. For this, he gets sold into slavery. He begins to work for a guy named Potiphar. And for a crime he doesn't commit, he gets put into prison. 
then while he's in prison for more than a decade, he tries to work a plan. Because he, he doesn't know how long he's going to be in the middle. So he tells the baker, hey, 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 just remember me when, or, or, or the, 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 the cupbearer, hey, remember me when you get in front of Pharaoh. Tell him I'm in here and, and maybe you can work a plan for me and get me out. Isn't that how we are in the in-between? And yet for two more years, Joseph languishes in a prison cell. His plan didn't work. He's trying to navigate his way through something where he doesn't feel like God is coming through for him. He has been there for years. He's uncertain about how many years there are to go. You know, that's the problem with being in the middle. We don't know when it starts and we don't know when it ends. You're just in the middle. Maybe it's just at the front end of the middle. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be 40 years like Moses. Maybe it's going to be, many scholars say, nine months at the most two years like Job. Did you know that more people quit church in the middle than at any other time? Because what the middle makes you feel like is that you're not a Christian. It makes you feel like you're not a believer. In the middle, you go through frustration and discouragement and anger and disappointment. You feel like Habakkuk. You feel like Joseph, like Jeremiah, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a host of others in the Bible. And... Because you can't see where the end is, there's no way to know where you're at in the middle. You know, I, I can't honestly promise you personally a breakthrough tomorrow. But I can encourage you, and I can teach you the principles of the kingdom of God. I can talk to you about a season that we're in. I can talk to you about what God is doing in a general way. You know, there are some Josephs here today. There's some Jobs in our midst. You know, just think about this. Joseph and Job didn't know that they were in the Bible when they were going through their problems. <laughs> there wasn't a Bible. Just like you and I don't know that we're in the Bible when we're going through our problems. How does what we're saying from the pulpit or what we say in one of our cell groups or when we gather around our tables as a family sound to the person who's in the middle? How does it sound to someone who's battling addiction or cancer? How does it sound to a person? What we're saying, how does it sound what we're saying to a person who's going through divorce? 
or a really troublesome marriage or someone who's lost their business or someone who's wrangling in a court battle. See, the problem is many of our prophets and many preachers, quite frankly, and with many of our self-help gurus or some of the young people in ministry is that they preach about suffering before they've ever gone through any. I had a mentor one time and, you know, I remember I was a, I was a young, bold pastor and doing great exploits for the kingdom. And I'll never forget, he said something to me and it just kind of rattled me a little bit. And he, he said it so simply and he said it so quietly, but he said it this way. He says, let not he who puts on his armor boast like he who takes it off. You know, when he first said that, I didn't quite get it. <laughs> I get it today. I see a lot of young men running into battle in their shiny new armor. <laughs> they just can't wait for the next fight. And they have all the answers. They figured it all out. Two years of Bible school and you know it all. And I see some old men who have been battle-wearied, battle-worn. They're coming off the battlefield with gashes in their armor, beat up, tarnished. The sword has been dripping with blood and it's like, you know what? There's a lot more to this than what that young man knows right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know it's one thing to speak about suffering in springtime, in the springtime of your life. But then something hits us. You face something that you weren't ready for. And I spoke to a young prophet this week and he came to me and uh, he had all the answers. Very, very, very excited and, and you know I, and I love that I love the zeal and I don't ever want to hinder that but I began to speak to him about his relationship with his father the relationship with the ministry he's in what his ambitions were doing could his gift and his ambitions take him further than his character could keep him we began to have some home truths by the time we got done this young man was sitting in my boardroom with his head hung a little bit lower and his thought process stimulated. I wasn't there to try to hinder his growth, but to help him to understand that there's more to it. That it's not always springtime, that there comes a winter sometimes. And when winter hits your life, sometimes what you preached in the springtime needs to be re-preached. Not as theory, but now from a different perspective. That's why the Bible tells us to honor and listen to the older men. It also speaks of older women instructing the younger women. Because there is a wisdom that comes with years. And we're supposed to instruct each other in the ways of the Lord. You know, we all have winters. We all have things that happen to us. And we all have these seasons of in-betweens. Here's a situation that I'd like to present to you because I see this often in the church, in our church, 
even sometimes in our own lives, is that sometimes there are people, many, many people are, they're afraid to immerse themselves in the humanity of someone else's suffering. Someone else's struggles. When trouble appears in someone's life, they retreat into their perfect world or into a philosophy that explains the pain and the suffering and the trouble away. So try to tell Job in the middle of his sufferings or Moses when he's been 40 years in a wilderness or try to talk to Joseph in prison some of the things that we try to tell each other. Oh, don't worry, God has it in control. All things work together for good. God loves you and is for you. Oh, don't worry, this is just a temporary light affliction. And you know what? Those are all good things. And I'm not against us speaking the word to each other. We need to speak the word. Encourage each other by speaking the word to each other. But sometimes that's really not what the person in between needs. I'm for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm for speaking the word. And I speak the word often. But, and we need to be encouraging. But there's other times. Sometimes. It's really not our job to represent God and God's position to people. There comes a time when we need to move away from being the prophet, representing God's position to people, and we need to become the priest, representing the people's position to God. You know, it's not our job always to fix everybody. Sometimes we have to understand that God is working in that person's life. And he's well able to bring to completion that which he's begun in their life. We need to be with the person who's in the middle. And we need to really be there. I've had many people quote Bible verses to me. Telling me what God said. When they get done, God absolutely said nothing to me. You know what I'm talking about? Just rattle off all this, yeah, 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 yeah. But at the end, God wasn't speaking. They were just memorizing some verses and telling me what the Bible says. I already know that. I don't need to hear that. They weren't speaking for God. They were just speaking. I don't know about you, but when you're in the middle, sometimes it's hard to go to church. It's hard to go to church and hear about somebody else's breakthrough when you haven't received yours. It's hard to applaud someone else's miracle when you're desperately in need of a miracle yourself. That's why it's called agony. It's an agony to be in this divine delay. The divine delay. It's an agony because it's divine. Now think about it. Think about it. It's divine. Nothing can delay God. Nothing could ever delay God. So this is happening to you. If it's happening to you, then you have to understand that it's on purpose. And for a purpose. And quite frankly, that makes it worse. Are you kidding me? I'm in this and are you telling me that it's on purpose? It means that God 
was intentionally keeping Joseph in prison an extra two years. It means that God was intentionally keeping Moses for 40 years on the backside of a wilderness where he's hiding, riddled with guilt and riddled with shame about his failure and what he did that cost a man's life. You know, you could have quoted scripture to Moses for those 40 years. You could have just kept quoting the scripture. But it still seemed like God was nowhere in his life. Then after 40 years, he notices a burning bush. And everything changes from there. And not necessarily for the better. <laughs> oh, we think it's for the better. But now he has four million screaming Israelites he has to take care of. You know, it's amazing to me. But all those people that we see in the Bible who are our heroes of faith, every one of them went through their middles. And we need to learn to go to people who are in the middle. Sometimes we need to learn just to sit with them. Just to be with them. Just to love them. Walk with them. Have a heart for them. Not to judge them. Not to try to fix them. Just be. Be with them. You know, I believe that the greatest miracle of your life will happen to you in your middle. Miracles don't happen at your beginning. And quite frankly, a miracle doesn't happen at the end. It happens somewhere in between. There's a miracle that happens in, in you. That, and I want you to get this. Sometimes the miracle that happens to you, in you, is more important than the miracle that happens to you or through you. Did you get that? See, sometimes when you're in the middle, God does a work on the inside that's more important than anything he could deliver you from on the outside. The work he did in Moses was after 40 years of living a life of privilege, a life of honor, a life of, of royalty, he now lives 40 years in a wilderness. And the Bible says of him that he was the meekest of all men. The meekest of all men when he came out of that wilderness. And God could use a meek and humble man, a man broken. But he had to go through that because up until then he was going to take things into his own hands and he had it all figured out. Joseph went through all the things he went through and God did a work so deep on the inside of him that when he saw his brothers, he went into a side room and he wept and eventually he came out and he exposed to them who he really was and he says, this is who I really am, I'm your brother Joseph and they were terrified, he says, don't worry, he says, what you intended for evil. 
God did something inside of me for our good. Can you understand that? <laughs> Job's wife, I love this lady. She just turned to Job and said, hey, just curse God and die. <laughs> just forget it. Just end your suffering. Just get it over with. <laughs> Job's friends, <laughs> they trying to fix him. You know, even his wife couldn't understand what's going on. Any more than his friends could understand what's going on in his life. Poor Job. I mean, he feels like he's on a journey with God. He feels like, you know, and, and he's in the middle and he's, he doesn't understand. He says, I just know that God's there. You have to understand that God is never shocked. God is never caught off guard. God is never blown away by your perspective. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He sees every perspective. God's never not seen something coming. He's never gotten broadsided. He's never woke up one morning and said, Boy, I didn't see that coming. That's not God. None of us are going to bring God up to speed on something. Hey, God, did you? Hey, hey, God. Hey, do you see what's going on down here? Let me just bring you up to speed a little bit. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that to God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's never been discouraged. He's never been depressed. He's never lived for days or weeks or for years in fear. So I think we need to be careful when we try to give people God's perspective. I think we need to put ourselves in the seat of people and look at things from their perspective. Jesus didn't come to earth just to tell us God's perspective. In fact, I studied Jesus, and I'll tell you what, Jesus was very peculiar. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 10, or verse 38, he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about Went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the power of the devil because God was with him. You know, I can't help but watch Jesus. He's sitting at a table with a very wealthy man with all kinds of Pharisees and Sadducees and sinners and tax collectors. It's a very elite meal very wealthy home, and the town prostitute comes in and starts washing his feet and using her hair, and Jesus just sits there. <laughs> now, wait a minute, let me, sister, let me tell you something. You need to change your life. Listen, you must repent. No, but the Pharisees were upset. They're all trying to give her the self-help gospel. And if he was really a man of God, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. I mean, Jesus does this all the time. Jesus goes and calls a tax collector, the most despised and hated person on planet Israel, <laughs> and says, come follow me. <laughs> so his team is kind of a weird team. He's got a zealot, he's got a known zealot, got a tax collector, he's got a bunch of fisher guys, fishermen. 
got a business guy. He's got a doctor. I mean, he's got, and he's got a thief. A known thief. I mean, this guy, this guy didn't have his hand in the cookie jar. His own arm was in the cookie jar. Gives me hopes for some of our government ministers. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? But Jesus went about doing good. His disciples go into a city, never led one person back to Jesus. He sits down at a well, and a woman comes out at noon because she's ashamed of her life. And he sits with her and says, not a self-help gospel. He says, why are you doing this? Give me a drink. Just... She's saying, why would you ask me to give you a drink? Well, he said, if you knew who was asking you who get to give you a drink, you'd be asking him for a drink. And he has a dialogue with her. He spends time with her. and He listens to her. Then he helps her reveal her heart. She's in the middle. She's in the middle of her fifth marriage. None of them have worked. People say, oh, she was a prostitute. No, she was probably a woman who was barren. And every man she married rejected her because she couldn't give him children, which is a reproach. She's trying again for the fifth time. She's in the middle. But yet that woman goes into the same village that 12 disciples had just been in. She says, come and see a man that told me everything about me. And the whole village comes out. The whole town comes out and gets saved. Today, for some of you, I said it earlier, the worship that you offered was very costly. I know it. I've been there. It was expensive. Because you're in this place of divine delay. And yet, in that place of divine delay, you chose to raise your hands. You chose to speak and sing those words. And like Job, you chose to trust God. Even those that are around you don't understand you. Your wife has forsaken you, and she's mocking you. And you're God. She says, you really think that God's coming through for you? What kind of God do you have? You cry out. Here's what we're crying out. Like Job, he says, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Man, that's costly. You know, if we're going to ask somebody, hey, how are you? And then have the audacity, or if they have the audacity, I should say, and if they have the audacity to tell us something besides a Bible verse, don't Google them. You know what I mean by Google them? See, I don't know about you, but in our family, if anybody ever gets sick, I feel sorry for Dr. Reed. <laughs> because his diagnosis isn't the diagnosis, I can promise you right now. Because we have Google. And I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying that, you know, we immediately get onto Google and we start checking everything that we can about that sickness that we have or that 
thing that we're fighting or that issue. And we have wide resources and wide knowledge. But often we've gone right down the list, and I mean, by the time you get to the bottom, you read this symptom, that symptom, this 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 symptom, and then you read the bottom line, it says, get ready to die. Because basically, it's like, this is it, baby, we're going down, this ship's going down. I mean, because it all speaks to you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like the guy who was having problems with his testicles. Can I say that word in church? <laughs> and his testicles were hurting. And so he, they hurt really bad during the day and then he, somehow he got relief at night. But he didn't know what it was so he went to the doctor and the doctors ran test after test after test and came back and said there's nothing wrong. He says, no, he says, I'm telling you, there's something wrong. So he went to get a second opinion and a third opinion, and he started Googling. He got on Google, and he started finding out, you know, and, and by the time he got done, he called his family together. He wrote a new will. He told them, guys, <laughs> but the doctors are saying, there's nothing wrong with you. But he wrote the new will, and, 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 and he called his family together. He says, I don't know if I have long to live. The family's deeply concerned. So he's saying his goodbyes. Well, come to find out that a few months earlier he'd had a birthday. Somebody bought him some new underwear and it was two sizes too small. <laughs> and he was wearing this underwear that was two sizes too small and it was causing him great pain during the day. And that's why he got relief at night because he would take them off and he'd just wear pajamas. <laughs> There's a word for this. They've, they've created a new word for some of us. It's called a cyberchondriac. We have cyberchondriacs today. What they do is they have a symptom, they jump online, and before they can even be diagnosed, they've got it all figured out. But you know what? This is what we do to people sometimes. They tell us, their first five minutes of their story. And we're already Googling everything we can come up with, with our shallow diagnosis and our often wrong prognosis. We're not listening to them. We're Googling them. We're diagnosing them. We're writing prescriptions for them. Often people in the middle feel like why did I even bother telling them? Why did I even open my mouth? They weren't even listening. Do they even care what I had to say? You know, when I preach to people, and when we share with people, it really shouldn't be about fixing people. It's about being used of the Holy Spirit to comfort people, to encourage people. You see, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. The last few weeks we've been talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he's the comforter. He, this is his main attribute. He, he is the comforter. And the Bible told us earlier, I just read the scripture, it says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, 
went about doing good, comforting the people, delivering them from the works of the devil. Comfort's not an attempt to fix anything. Comfort just sits down with you and says, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. It tries to empathize. It tries to feel what the other person feels. And to be there, to really be there for the person. It's not, hey, what are you going through? Hey, let me tell you something. You know what? Let me tell you. Uh, you know, and then we start unleashing all of our wisdom and all of our knowledge and all of our self-help principles and all the little cliches that we've taken up. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. We start giving all of our little theories. And, and we tell everybody the five scriptures we've memorized. I know you've only told me Five minutes of your nine-year process or your nine-month process. But here, I have the answer right here on my fingertips. Let me, hey, just give me one more second. Let me just Google one more thing here. You know, I have these, the, I have these verses right here. When you're depressed. <laughs> when you're anxious. Wait, wait. Here's some, you're an, here's some scriptures for anxious. Yeah, I know. I read those. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been meditating on those. I'm not saying that's wrong, folks. But I don't know about you. Sometimes when I'm going through it, I just don't need another scripture. I need somebody to just listen, just to be there. Just be there. In church, it's giving somebody a thumbs up from a distance. Hey, you're going to make it, man. Come on. Let them know. It's giving somebody that look that says, hey, you know what? I want you to know, I know what you're going through, but I'm here. It's a look. It's a touch. It's a, I got you. I get it. I get you. Just let them know you care. And sometimes it's a shoulder just to cry on or an embrace that ensures them that you're with them. Just embrace them. Just hold them. Sometimes it's just taking time out of your busy schedule to go to their office or to go to their home or take them out to lunch or just be with them and just let them talk. Say, hey, I love you, my friend. I just love you. I want you to I love you. We don't always need to be the spiritual superhero, the super fixer. I'm here. Praise God. There's nothing I can't fix. Shandalarabasa. <laughs> people that you meet and you bump into that we go by every single day in Zimbabwe and they're in the middle Whew. for us as a church for you and I it's doing something in these harsh conditions that lets even a stranger know that you care about them and that God cares about them that God knows it's being an encouragement to somebody who's in the middle. Some of you came to church today. And I know, because 
I know you think that pastors don't go through things. I know you don't think I've ever been any, through anything because I'm the pastor. But if you could see me, I know I'm standing, but there's actually times that although I'm standing, I'm really kneeling. And I'm dragging myself to the pulpit. I see some of you, you drag, you drug yourself in here. You're on your hands and knees and it's like, oh, I don't even want to be here. I didn't really want to go to church today. But you know what? I know it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I know. You drug yourself into the church. You drag yourself into the seat. And you lift your hands. That's why I say it's precious to God. I just want to say that for those of you, some of you that are just barely here, just barely making it, just keep moving. Just keep moving. Just keep going forward. You know, Christianity is not a fashion parade. It's not just strutting our stuff. No matter what you feel like, keep moving. Move towards the light. Drag yourself. I don't care how you have to get there. Just drag yourself through the middle. Gravitate to those things that are wholesome. Gravitate to the people that have light in their eyes, that give you hope. Gravitate to the worship. Gravitate to the things that bring a little bit of peace. Maybe it's just getting to bed at night and just sleeping a little bit. Maybe it's a certain meal that just gives you a little bit more, I love this meal. And in the midst of all this, maybe there's certain people that just give you hope. Spend more time with them. Then as you begin to get a little bit more spring in your step and a twinkle returns to your eye and that heart begins to beat a little bit more and you begin to feel the hope again. You begin to say, oh, you know what? Hope begins to well up in your soul. and you, It's more than just keeping on going. It just it gives you a little strength. Understand this, that with God there's always a new horizon. There's always a new beginning. See, I really don't care how you get there. I just want you to know that we're with you, that we're standing with you. We're standing beside you. As a church, we need to cheer people on. They're, people are hurting right now. We're in a really tough place sometimes. We need to just be here to cheer each other on. We need to, we need to move from cliche to heart-level relationships, folks. I believe that those of us in this church really don't care if you're in the middle. We're just glad that you're here and that you're with us. That's all we really care about. Pastor Taz and Pastor Tommy came to me and they said, you know, we're coming up to missions month and you know, we really want to do something that can make an impact. You know, they feel people hurting. And I said, such good pastors. These guys have such a pastor's heart. My wife, she constantly is talking to me about, you know, empathy. Can you feel what other people feel? And I do. I just feel a different way sometimes. I don't always show it the way I should. And, and, and my poor wife, sometimes she just sees this guy who's driven, who just goes for God. 
But you know, as I get older, I'm beginning to want to be not so much up here. I mean, I know this is my calling. But you know what? Sometimes I just want to be down here. I just want to be here. Can I just find a seat with somebody? Can I just sit next to you? Can we all just sit and be together? I'm really getting tired of all the Bible answer men. And I believe that the Bible has all the answers we need. Don't get me wrong. We preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation. But there's something about all of us opening our hearts to each other. Say, hey, you know what? Let me just, re- let me, okay, okay, okay. I know you know all the answers. Can we just get that aside? Because that thing in your heart is speaking so much louder than all your scriptures you just quoted can we speak to each other's hearts can we become that people just ask your neighbor say can we become that people but we're going to have a chance this week this month because during missions month I want to make this month a month for us to reach out to our friends to our community and teach other, but mainly to our friends and community to tell them, hey, it's okay to come as you are to our church. God loves you just like you are. It's okay to come to my cell group just like you are, just like you are. We're not asking you to change anything. Just, hey, just come like you are. It's okay. Even if you don't come to my church, even if you decide that, hey, you don't want to be in my church or come to my church or even visit us, that's not the point. We love you like you are. And we're going to do and act and we're going to show kindness to you because we want you to know that you're loved. Even if you are in your middle, even if you don't understand what's all going around you, we love you and God loves you. And I was, uh, I told you I was, I'm, I'm reading a book on meditation. And uh, one of the things that this book really struck me, and I've thought about this many, many times. I, I mean, this isn't a new thought to me, but this book brought it back to my memory. And it, it, and it, and it asked a question. And uh, it, 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 it asked this question. It says, can we, can you and I be a people that can so clearly hear God be so prophetic and so available to God that we could hear God and he could say to us, there's a man that I want you to go to on a street called Straight. His name is Saul. And would we be able to not only hear that, but go do it? See, I don't know, because you have to understand who Saul was. Saul was persecuting Christians. Saul was the guy that was putting people in prison. Saul was the guy that everybody knew about. This is the guy we're all avoiding. And yet, as a Christian, God spoke to 
a man named Ananias. This guy isn't even in the Bible other than the one time that you see his name Ananias. That means he wasn't some big high and mighty guy in the church. He wasn't a prophet. Probably wasn't even a pastor. He was just a member of the church who could see that there was a man named Saul and God said, hey, he's in between. (laughs) And I need you to go talk to him. Lay hands on him. Because he's blind right now, but I'm going to open his eyes in three days. See, I, I, here's the question. Are we in a place that we can, have, have we taken time to just stop for a minute and say, God, I want to hear your voice. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And during our synod, we began to open the doors to being a prophetic people. We began to practice prophecy. And, and prophecy isn't what you think it is. It's not yay, 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 ya, 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 ya. Go to China. <laughs> it's always amazing to me. You can't even find your way to the supermarket, but you can tell somebody, yay, you're going to China. <laughs> that's, not, that's not prophecy. That's not the prophecy I'm talking about. A prophetic people is able to give an encouraging word. Is able to just, you know, I was with some men on the boat the other day. We had some of our pastors, and we were talking, and one of the guys was sitting across from me. He says, you know, you're, I said, what, what, what's your, what was your goal? What, what did you expect on this trip? He says, I wanted a word from you, Pastor. I wanted a prophecy, a prophetic word. I don't know if he got this, but right there I began to speak about his life. And he didn't understand, maybe he did, but I was prophesying over him. I was speaking words of encouragement. I wasn't just having a conversation with him. Because I, uh, I don't really often have a lot of conversations where we just talk about the weather. So when I began to speak into his life, it was prophetic. So he may have gone away, well, I, I didn't get my prophetic word. M- meanwhile, he, he got his prophetic word. He just he wasn't listening. But if he just goes back and listens to what I said to him, there was life in that. There was encouragement in that. There was vision in that. There was, there was, but it didn't come across as the great mighty fixer. It was just a man with a heart that loves people that said, hey, you know what? Wherever you're at, I see you're on a journey and let me encourage you with this. And it wasn't 15 scriptures. It wasn't a yea, ye, and thus saith the Lord, you're going to be. No, it was a prophetic word of encouragement. So what we're going to ask you to do, we're going to ask the church to to be involved in over this next month is what we call Acts. It stands for the book of Acts because the book of Acts is still going on. If you'll go read your Bible, you'll find out that there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. But there's no period at the end of the last chapter. It didn't stop. It just kept going. The, The book of Acts is still being written. It's being written through your life and my life and it's being written in our lives every single day. The acts of the Holy Spirit is what it should be called. The acts of God's Holy Spirit working through people is still taking place. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. That's the story of the book of Acts. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. And Jesus being full of the Spirit went about doing good. 
and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. That's the story. The Bible tells us that we're a city set on a hill. We're a light that cannot be hidden. We can't put our lamp under a bushel basket. It does no good. We have to put it on a lampstand so that everybody who sees the light can be drawn to it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Jesus went about doing good works. We're to go about doing good things for people. So here we are. We find ourselves in, as a nation, we're in between. We find ourselves in trying times, uncertain times, dark and difficult times. And people during these kind of times tend to just check out and they just go into what I call survival mode. Most people think of themselves first and then only after they're taken care of, which is hardly ever, do they think of somebody else. We have panic, we have fear, we have anxiety, murmuring everywhere in our nation. You can see it in people's faces, in the supermarkets fuel queues, the banks, hospitals, the workplaces. For some of these people, the hospital is a panic station. The supermarket is their panic station. What am I going to buy? I don't have enough. So what do I get with the little I have? Work is a panic station. They go and work and they know they're not going to get paid. places of despair. But can I tell you something? They're ripe for us to bring a little bit of hope through acts of kindness. Acts of kindness. So here's what I want you to do. I want everyone in our church to begin to be a little bit more sensitive to others. Not to try to fix them, but try to be empathetic towards them, to love them. To reach out in a very specific and a very special way. To be led of the Holy Spirit. To be a prophetic people. We want to be a prophetic people. We want to be led of the Spirit. So the act of kindness that God will let you have is an opening to listen to people. Let them tell their story. It may even lead to a chance to lead them to Jesus. But our goal isn't to Yes, our ultimate goal is to lead everyone to Christ, okay? But the inspiration behind the Acts program is Jesus who went about doing good and delivering all those who were oppressed of the devil. I love Jesus. He listened to people. So here's some things we want you to do. We want you to think about things like seeing somebody and giving up your place in the queue at the bank for somebody else. Or in the petrol queue. Oh, I know, we don't have those, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> or pay for someone's groceries at the supermarket. You're going through and you look back and you see a family and you say, uh, 
listen, I'm going to leave you an extra $20 or 20 bond notes. Or would you take an extra swipe of 20 bond notes for the people behind me? And then what we've done is we've printed a card for each and every one of you. And you can get more of these in the bookstore. Because I think some of you are going to say, I get this. I get this. I can do that. And the card says, bring a little bit of light where it seems to be dark. <laughs> On the other side, it says, this act of kindness was done in the name of Jesus because he loved us first. I'm just here to pass on the message. He loves you. John 3.16. And it has our address there in case they ever want to get to church. But our goal is just to let them know that, hey, I love you. You love them. So each one of you is going to get one card today. But you can pick up ten more for a dollar in the bookstore. I've already asked for 50. I love this kind of thing. This is my deal. This is my gig. I, this is me. I'm a gift giver. I love this kind of thing. And I, instead of just doing it, now I have a way of leaving a little card behind. Say, hey, and I'll do it real secretively. I won't hand them the card. I'll say, I might. But for the most part, I'm going to let somebody else look like the hero. Oh, by the way, just give them this card when you do that for them. Amen? You know, you might want to stop and help somebody that you see being harassed by a police officer. I'm serious. You know, sometimes you can step in, especially if it's an elderly person. I see some of the way that some of our elderly are treated in this country. We used to have a respect for the elderly. Now, if you're old, you're a target. Come on, folks. Let's stand up for our elderly people. When you visit somebody in the hospital, that's cool. But you know, how many times do you just walk by the nurses and the orderlies and everybody that works there and you just treat them like dirt? You know, the, the, the nurses love when I come to the hospital because I stop and I talk to them. I say, you know what? Can I just tell you, thank you. They look at me like, what? You're thanking me? Usually you only get complaints from people. I want to thank you for being here. You know, I want to thank you for the, that you're overworked and underpaid. I want to thank you that you know, you're making a real difference. Your life really counts. How many times do you thank the people that are taking care of your relative, taking care of the people that, you're, that are at that hospital? Don't you think that would go a lot further? When's the last time you went up and had a bucket full of chicken and said, hey, guys, you're taking care of my... This is just a blessing for you guys here on this ward. How many times have you taken flowers and said, hey, this is just for you guys, for the nurses and doctors, just to remind you that, hey, we're thinking of you too. You buy a bowl of fruit for the sick person, take a bowl of fruit for the doctors and nurses and leave a card for them. Well, what is that fruit going to cost you? Okay, five bucks. Five extra dollars for a nice bowl of fruit. And you thought of somebody else. Are you listening to me? There's, there's, and, and you know what? 
I know that you're all creative geniuses. So there's a thousand ways to test somebody. So here's how it's going to work. Over the next four weeks, every Sunday, each one of you is going to get a card. We're going to, that's our part. We're going to give everybody a card every Sunday. Okay? I would hope that every one of us could touch at least one person a week. Some of you say, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I get this. I'm going to the bookstore right now. I'm getting my 10 cards. I, I got this. this. I got this covered. Pastor, I'm with you. I got this covered. I, I can do this. This is something I can do. Not everybody can do that. But some of you are going to wake up in the middle of the night. It's going to hit you. Oh, man. See, I, oh, I only have one card. Oh, my goodness. But there's three people. I, I just figured it out how I can do this. How I can touch somebody. Make a difference in their life. So here's what I want you to remember. I want you to identify the need of the person. You don't need to pray about it. Let me go pray. No, just look around you. There's a need everywhere. Once you identify it, minister to that person through an act of kindness. Maybe it's just to sit and listen to them. And when you're done, you just slide the card over. Maybe you write your name on it and say, hey, you know what, I enjoyed this so much. Give me a call sometime. It's a complete stranger. Thanks for telling me your story. I'm, gonna, I'm genuinely going to pray for you, but give me a call sometime. Come on, guys. There's a thousand ways to do this. Only after you've done the act of kindness, give the kindness card or leave it where somebody else gives it. I've done this a lot at, uh, I mean, many times at grocery tills. I just often say, hey, do me a favor. I'm going to give you an extra $50. I think they have about 50. If there's any change left over, give it to them. Okay? And tell them that Jesus loves them. But wait till I'm gone. Don't tell them. Just tell them Jesus loves them. When they, when, what you paid for it, say Jesus paid for those. Jesus loves them. Well, now I have a card. You just give them this card when it's all over. Just pay for it and give them this card, okay? If you get a chance, tell your story. Sometimes your testimony is just a word of encouragement for somebody. Tell, tell your story. Not with an angle, just tell your story. Invite them to church. That's okay. It's okay to invite people to church. That's not the, that's not the end goal of this. The end goal is just to go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Amen? Hallelujah. So this morning, if you feel like you're in a divine delay zone. If you feel like, Pastor, I'm in the middle. I want you to stand. Wherever you are, just stand. I, that's your, this spoke to me today. I want to pray for you. Look at this. 
And of course, we're all in the middle of, in terms of our nation. I know that. My hope today is that by hearing this message and that by receiving the prayer that we're about to pray, that we, not you, we, who are in the middle might be stabilized. We might receive a place of stability. Look around you. Just look around you. Do you see the person that's standing? We see you. Can we tell people, hey, we see you. We see you. We hear you. You're welcome here to struggle without our judgment. We're not going to judge you. You're, you're welcome. We're, 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 we're welcoming you to move through your middle with us together, with the people who aren't out to just try to fix you, but who feel you. See, my prayer is that you'll become a champion of the middle. You'll be this champion that rises up. You know, Jesus looked at Peter. Peter was at the Last Supper. And Peter's this impulsive guy. And Jesus is washing their feet. And he says, no, no, no. If you're going to wash my feet, you're going to wash my whole body. He says, no, no, no. Peter, Peter. He says, just your feet need to be clean. No, no. Ah, and he's impulsive. I mean, you know, one of you is going to betray me. I will never betray you. Who, who's, just show me who that guy is. I'll take his head off. He says, Peter, tonight, this very night, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. But Peter, I want you to know something. I've prayed for you. And while you're in the middle, you'll not fail. You, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. He says, but while you're in the middle, I don't want you to fail. but when you come out of this thing strengthen your brothers strengthen each other he didn't say preach at them he said strengthen them, comfort them comfort your brothers guys I believe this in this church if you really open your hearts today wherever you're at in the middle when you get through this if you really let your heart if you let God do the miracle in your heart, this is going to be one heck of a powerful place to be in. Because there's some real people here that have a real ability to meet the needs of others. So, Father, I pray. I don't just pray for this church. I pray for myself. Lord, we don't want to cut short what's happening to us in the middle 
But we do pray, I pray, for removal, an erasing of the condemnation, for an understanding of something about the middle that we hadn't seen before. We pray for the eradication of guilt and shame. I pray for the eradication of guilt and shame in your middle and in my middle. Father, I pray that you'll surround us. I pray that God will surround us with people who understand the middle, who will be comforters. Oh God, help us in our middle. Help us in this in-between. Give us friendships. Real friendships. Help us to open the doors of our hearts. Give us hearts that are open to others. Hearts that can be open to those who can help us and to those that we can help and who we can encourage who are in their middle as well. Help us to trust you in this process. Help us in our middle that we may do this well, that we might do it well, that we may do this strong, and that out of it will come something for our world and for our city and for our church and our family that we would never have found if we just pretended it wasn't happening. We tried to just fast track it. God, we don't want to just fast track it to the end. We don't want to just escape it. Help us to become outstanding in our love. Our love for you and our love for each other. Please, Lord. As Father, as we take these cards and we do our very best to do an act of kindness. Please help us. Help us to do it with sensitivity in a way that alleviates some of the pain and pressure that we have in our society. Not to our glory, not to our credit, but that you would receive all the glory. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do in a congregation like this. Would you, sir, please fall upon us and be the comforting spirit that you are Would you convict us and convince us of your loving kindness and your work in our hearts? We submit humbly unto your care and your love. Forgive us for our grumblings and our murmurings, Father, but that's where we're at. And we know that you don't condemn us. We know that you know exactly where we're at. We confess that we're in the middle. Help us to take the next step. Help us to keep moving. When we come through this, and we will, we will, we'll strengthen not only our brothers, but our city, our nation, and everyone we come in contact with. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.